for this scripture, for our reader, for our testifier, and for all of you. I'm going to ask that we keep up that first slide of the scripture throughout, because uh, <coughs> we're going to go over it word by word. Um, and first, I would ask you, if you are the praying kind, to pray with me for us on this day. God of grace, God of joy and delight, God of surprises, God of tiny babies and of aging and wisdom and of everything in between. Meet us here today. As the school year begins and we are teachers or students or caseworkers and we are feeling excited and overwhelmed with all this to come. As we are facing change at work or at home or at church and wondering what that will mean for us and hoping that we will find you in it. As we are experiencing delight, things we are so happy about, gifts we never thought we had, and want to find ways to share those gifts with one another in joy. Be with us. Hold us. Guide us. Help us to reach one another, you, and the world. And if we shouldn't, if the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts should go astray, to guide them to places of hardship or stumbling or hurt, help us to know it, to turn around, to make amends and to forgive one another in the endless circumstances that you have promised us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're starting a new sermon series today. And that sermon series, for legal reasons, is not called Stranger Things anymore. <laughs> but it is called Strange Jesus. Because it turns out um, that there's a lot of really weird stuff in the Bible that we don't know where it comes from or what it means or how to understand it. And we wanted to take some time together to investigate these oddball stories that don't necessarily come up when you just think, hey, I want to go to the Bible and I want to learn about friendship. I want to go to the Bible and I want to learn about how to be a church. These stories are so weird that they never come up in any of those searches because no one quite knows what they mean or where they're going. And yet, whole big parts of our life are just that odd, just that mysterious, just that unexplainable. And so we thought it might benefit us to study together some of these weird and inexplicable moments in Jesus' life. The other reason that I'm really excited about this series is that I think it's going to teach us something about how to read the Bible and think about it generally. Uh, I don't know how many of you are podcast listeners, but I uh, listened to a podcast called Reply All. It's a podcast about the internet. And one of my favorite recurring segments on that podcast is called Yes, Yes, No. Because it's about somebody showing to two other people something they saw on the internet that they didn't understand. <laughs> a tweet, a picture, a meme, a post somebody made that had 12 different references, right? Or that requires basically a history degree to understand the joke that it's making. You need to understand so many different inside jokes, TV shows, political context to get it that they spend this whole segment kind of explaining it to each other. This one sentence, this one picture, what did it mean? And I think something we forget um, is that just like we live in this context-rich culture, every picture we see has a thousand pictures behind it. 
every reference we make has a whole network of things that we assume the other person will get. That's how a lot of the writers of the Bible work. They're making references we don't understand. They're making jokes that aren't funny to us because we aren't telling the same epic stories. We aren't living through the same hard times. And so while there's much for us in the scriptures that God uses to guide us and form us and teach us, sometimes it takes understanding a little bit of ancient weirdness in order to make the Bible seem like something that can be real for us and joyful for us and educational for us today. So we're going to do a little bit of that each week. And we start with this. Jesus pulling a coin out of the fish's mouth. Right? Um, and let's talk a little bit about what's happening here. Um, collectors of the temple tax have come to Jesus and asked him whether he's going to pay. What's a temple tax? Let's start there. Um, so y'all are probably familiar with civil taxes, right? You pay a country, you pay taxes to the country that you live in, um, in part because you'll get in trouble if you don't, but in part, hopefully, because you believe that they go to something that your entire community and your entire nation will share. Uh, schools, or a military, or a program that this country has decided to get behind for whatever reason, right? And then you taxes to a group. Taxes about coming together with a group, making one common pot, and doing something with it. In this time, in this place, um, during the life of Jesus, there had been a tax just for Jewish folks uh, that went to the temple. The temple was the great home of Judaism, the great home of God uh, during this period in Jerusalem, the place where people went to offer their most significant and heartfelt and meaningful acts of worship, the place where people gathered, the place where they would come and feast and festival if they could once a year or twice a year. He paid a, a tax to the temple to make sure that it could go, to make sure that it could keep doing its work, to make sure that it could keep serving your community, keep serving your people. But um, the tax was levied in ways that weren't always the easiest for folks to pay. Because before, right, when um, Jewish people had been both the, the people who led the land that they lived on as well as the temple, they had set lots of different ways that you could give to the temple and make it go. You could bring a couple of your chickens that you were raising or a couple of your goats. You could bring some of your corn. You could bring some of your water. You could bring whatever the fruits were of your life that you were living. Whatever the resources were of your particular experience. However poor you were, however rich, you gave out of what you had, out of what your life had given you, out of what God had given you to this common effort. But then when Rome came, and colonized this place so that Jews still worshiped at the temple, it was still allowed to exist, but Jews were a um, subjugated and oppressed group under a bigger empire that dictated how things were. They began to say that there was only one way to pay that temple tax, and it was with coins. It was the coins of the realm, coins of the kingdom, coins of the empire that had taken over. There was only one thing that was of value. No longer the thing that your life had given you, no longer the thing you were inspired to give, no longer the resource of who you were or of the land around you or of the life that you led, but the coin that the man had made, basically, right? 
the coin that the kingdom had made was the only thing you could pay. And most people didn't have hardly any coins. They just didn't. They didn't have enough. They didn't have enough to give out of this. And so it became a source of resentment and anger. That you would ask for coins you didn't have when you were already struggling to make ends meet, when you were already struggling to make things go. How could you come up with a resource you didn't have and a resource that had been dictated by somebody else? So that's right, a little bit of the background that we just like don't come to, we don't come knowing when we read this scripture. But the question Jesus is being asked isn't just a note of legal clarification. <laughs> it's an emotional, a physical, a whole life response. Do I have it or not, and what am I being asked to do? For the poor people who are watching Jesus, they are asking the question, what is required of me? What can I give and what can I not give? And to whom do I owe my time, my heart, my allegiance? To whom do I owe <clears throat> my struggle and my suffering? And he knows that if he says, don't pay tax, he's going to bring down on him all of the powers of that kingdom, of that realm, of that power, of that principality, of that thing that is hurting that doesn't see them for who they are, that sees them as resources to be extracted and pushed on more and more, that doesn't see their lives for how their lives can be lived, but only for what can be taken from them. And so if he says no, that's what he's doing, and putting people in danger, right? Because if he says to follow me, to love Jesus, to love God, you have to not pay this tax, the tax, He's asking people to do something that will put them at great risk. But if he just says yes, right, the taxes are good, the rules of the realm, the rules of the king, those are the same as the rules of God. He is telling people, your suffering doesn't matter. This hardship, this thing that this has done to your life doesn't matter. And all you owe is whatever the powers tell you you owe. It puts the powers before the God who made us and the God who loves us. And so first he finds this in-between way to answer the question with his words. Um, it's Peter who's asked first, right, about the text. And I always think it's really interesting that Peter feels super comfortable just answering for Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't need to go back and check or like ask Jesus how he feels. He just goes with a yes. And when he goes back, Jesus already knows what the issue is going to be. Does Jesus know because somebody already ran back to the house and was like, Jesus, do you know what Peter's told the tax collectors? Um, or is it because Jesus is miraculous and often knows what people are talking about? Who knows? Could be either one. But Jesus already knows what's on Simon Peter's mind. And he does what Jesus almost always does in a hard or confusing situation, which is he asks a question, which is, by the way, so frustrating. <laughs> Don't you wish sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, every so often, don't you wish that Jesus really was how people say Jesus was, and when you asked him what you should do, he just said, do this. <laughs> right? He just gave you a solid direction, and you move forward. 
But no, like 95% of the time, what Jesus does is ask you a provoking question that makes you like look at your whole soul and think about who you are and think about what you want life to be. And it's probably better in the long run, but man, can it be emotionally and spiritually exhausting. And so if he does, what he almost always does, he asks that Peter a question. What do you think? This is, by the way, what I do with my kid. If any of you are teachers, right? You've probably done this a thousand times. Good, hard question. What do you think? Right? What comes to your mind? A therapist also, right? I did a strategy. What do you think? From whom do kings of the earth take hold or change? From their children or from others? So he's questioning the system, right? These kings of the earth, these royals of the realm, these people of the powers who exert power in this earthly place. When that kind of person does something, a king, a pharaoh, right? It's not about one individual. It's about the whole system. When the system wants something, who does it usually extract it from? The people who it loves, who it sees as a part of it, or people who it sees as others, as different, as strange, as outside. And Simon Peter knows the same answer that we know which is that the powers ask for things from the people who they describe as other, right? That often we start to paint people as other specifically so that we can take things from them that maybe we shouldn't and don't deserve. And here's the same thing, from others. Kings take from others. That's what they do. That's the definition of a power and principality that is not a godly kind of underneath power, a Jesus kind of servant power, a Christian kind of sacrificial power. The way that you figure out that it's an earthly power, a harmful power, is that it takes what it can get and that it takes from others. And Jesus said to him, then the children are free. The children are free. He declares, if you are the child of the one true king, if you are the child of God, if you are the child of me, your identity is freedom. He gives a word of freedom to the people who he knows will hear this story before he moves on. Our identity is free. Whatever the world might say about us, however the kings might call us other, whatever the realm might try to take from us, who we are is free. We live in freedom. God has made us free. What good news. However. <laughs> however. And this is where Jesus gets to the part where he um, gives us a way forward to live in a world that isn't perfect. To, to a, a way to live in kingdoms that aren't his in kingdoms that aren't fully God's yet, and the kingdoms that we'll always create here on earth, not because everyone is evil, but because everyone just keeps being human. And so we imperfect humans together keep creating realms that harm and realms that hurt and realms that take. However, so that we do not give offense to them, so that you might still be safe, go to the sea and cast a hook. Take the first fish that comes up and in it you will find a coin. Um, there's not as much commentary on this passage as there are on many other passages of the Bible, in part because it's so weird. I will tell you that we struggle to find voices and people who love this scripture the way that there's a million people right, who love the story of the law. 
lost coin we could talk about forever. Coin increases now, less. Um, but the commentary that there is all talks about this question of taxes. It's very like literal, right? Every essay you find, every YouTube video, every whatever that I went through, it's all, are we supposed to be taxes or not? That's the takeaway that they take from this story, um, which is an interesting question, right? Jesus gives us room to pay taxes while saying that they aren't right or real, which I think is you know, a metaphor for any time the powers ask something from you. You can make space for both answers, for not providing and for providing, but knowing that in your heart you are free and you are God's. But a much more interesting question to me than the tax question is why did it have to be in the fish's mouth? This is the only question that I have about this scripture. This is the really big thing that I want to know, right? Jesus could have given this lesson about taxes and handed the dude a coin that was in his pocket or on the road. It did not have to come from a fish's mouth. Why did Jesus make the coin come from the fish's mouth? Am I the only one for whom this is the most pleasant <laughs> question of this scripture? And luckily, I did find a few theories. One is that um, the Tyrian coins that you had to use at this time, uh, some of them were printed, they all had the face of the emperor on one side or of a person in power, and then on the other side, they would have animals who represented gods. So sometimes it would be eagles or birds, but sometimes it would be fish and sea monsters that represented the god of the sea. And so somebody says, well, he's like kind of making a joke, right? The coin has a fish on it. But here's a real fish that's even better than a coin. Um, you know, I'll like, I'll, okay, all right, all right. I'll put that in my pocket as one of the possible ways that I think about the scripture. I offer it to you. You know, take it up if it's useful. Put it down if it's not. Another person says um, it's because the the fish is a representative of the ways in which, uh, for Matthew, the ways in which. Jesus is for all of us and can share and can feed, right? That if Jesus is the same one who splits the loaves and fishes on the mountain, that if Jesus is the one who feeds the disciples fish on the beach, that the fish is a reminder of where we really get our nourishment, of where we really get our power. I like that one too. That one moves me. That one speaks to me. The one that ended up moving my heart the most, speaking to the place where I am in my spiritual life the most, was this idea that I found that um, he's basically telling people all of the things that the powers and principalities don't have power over. So he calls the kings the kings of the earth, right? The pharaohs, the kings, the people who ask too much from you, sometimes your boss or management, right? The kings, the the people who harm, the people who make us other, the people who just take without giving, whoever that is, uh, they're the kings of the earth. And, and this uh, commentary said, well, they're the kings of the earth, that means that they can't be the kings of the sea, right? <laughs> then as now, international waters. No one has power over the ocean. No one has power over the Sea of Galilee. No one can make the sea do what it wants. However much power a king tells you that they have, however much power an emperor tells you that they have, the person who hurts you, the person who takes from you, the person who's um, helping to create oppression in the world, which is sometimes ourselves, right? Sometimes I just see ourselves in this person. They do not have the power to make a fish. They can make as many coins as they want, and they cannot be king of the ocean. 
They can take as much from you as they want, and they cannot make a fish to feed your stomach or your soul. It's a lesson to us about where power really lies, which is in the God who loves us through when times are hard and times are easy. The God who gives us freedom when we are oppressed and jailed and when we are truly liberated in our material circumstances here on earth. <coughs> the God who, as so many say throughout the Bible, right? What manner of man is this that winds may obey, that the sea can be moved, that the waves can go, that God is something so much bigger than the coin or the taxes or the hurt or the pain or the power or the principality, that in God you can trust. And that's why I fish, and that's why I sleep. And I like that one because I am in a place that some of you might be in. We're about to go through change here at the church. It feels to me like we're going through a lot of change as a nation and as a world. We're trying to figure out what to do about an earth that is hurting, that is in trouble, that we haven't treated well, that we haven't treated as a gift from God. And I find myself desperately needing to rely on a God who is more powerful than coins and who is more powerful than the powers that have told me that we can only ever do the limited things they say are enough. I find myself needing to rely on a God of wind and ocean who has made so much more than I can ever understand and so has power to make things different in ways that I can't predict or know. That's what I find in this weird story. And so I offer it to you that God is a God of fish and sea as well as whatever food you can <coughs> That God is a God of creation and jokes and wonder as well as whoever has tried to take things from you. But then I also offer to you that I don't think the explanation that has moved me and changed for things for me this week explains away the weirdness of what has happened here. And I think the last thing that we are all offered in God, no matter what this story means, no matter how we explain it, no matter how we find our lives inside of it, is that sometimes life has mystery, and sometimes life is strange, and sometimes God is weird and joins us in our weirdness, as God has joined us in every single other thing that has ever happened. And so I hope you hold on to that mystery as we explore the strangest things that Jesus has ever done, to find in Jesus a power so great that he offers us ways forward in situations seemingly untenable, in Jesus, a love for the earth that is so great that he can call the fishes to do his will and love them with the love that he loves us humans. And a Jesus who is so mysterious that there is no situation we can encounter in life that he cannot encompass and that he cannot join us in, even if explanation is beyond our ken. So let's find that Jesus together.